everyone. This is Coach Stephanie with the Keto Endurance Podcast. This is part two of a two-part interview with Tyler Cartwright from Keto Gains. Now on to the show. Yeah, I just I find it really interesting sometimes that we want so badly to have found the panacea for all things. And the answer could be as simple as get your ketones as high as possible and do everything in your power to get your ketones as high as possible. And we don't think, we think that it's sort of a metabolic free lunch. We think that there's no, there's no bill that's going to come due or no consequence that's going to come from doing everything in our power to raise ketone levels higher. And the only conditions that I could really make an argument for that, and I don't even know that I could definitively say this, are certain cancers and some neurodegenerative disorders. And that's and epilepsy kind of sets off and goes without saying. Um, but again, and I mentioned this in the presentation, when you look at the studies of juvenile epileptics that were placed on a ketogenic diet in that three to one or four to one ratio, it's very emblematic of what we see when we work with clients who are eating that way self-selectively. They actually are losing muscle mass at a pretty rapid pace. Um, those children are stunted in growth relative to children of the similar age and similar lineage and, 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 you know, racial background or whatever. Um, and they tend to have less lean mass than individuals who are not eating on a three to one or a four to one ketogenic diet. Um, but that's kind of the no dust statement of the year, because if you're eating 50 grams of protein and you're living a lifestyle worthy of 120 grams of protein, you know, 50 grams of protein a day and 120 gram protein a day lifestyle, you're just going to have this debt of amino acid that's going to have to be paid somewhere. And unfortunately, going to be all of that anabolism that you would have normally gotten as a teenager, you're just not going to get. Um, and so it does kind of stand to reason, but to hold those children up and to, to say anything other than we are, we are choosing the lesser of two evils here is the only thing we can really say. Ketogenic diets typically work in intractable seizure disorder, especially with children, but that comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And that price is, um, you know, fairly short of stature and fairly waifish children that grow as they grow into adults. But I'll take that over a child who has dealt with seizures and now has, you know, dead spots in the brain or, you know, traumatic brain injury in general or, you know, paralysis or, you know, a number of other issues that come with chronic rampant seizure disorders. So, again, trade-offs, right? There's no metabolic free lunch. And I don't think that ketone levels are any different or, or eating a ketogenic diet is any different. We, we, we are giving up something which would probably be top end maximal performance, human performance in exchange for some benefits like lower inflammatory markers, uh, probably some improvements in body composition and a number of other things. But when you do a ketogenic diet in a dangerously poor fashion, now you've upped the, the negative ledger and you've really reduced the positive ledger of what you're getting. And so you're losing more than you're gaining or you're breaking even. And that's where just eating in a very ancestral way and not fearing protein and not chasing ketones just seems to be this holy grail of the way to fix 90% of people's metabolic crap. Definitely on the same page there. Gram for gram protein is the most satiating 
macronutrient on the planet. There is literally no clinical study which shows anything other than that to be true. That being said, there is sort of this leverage point where overconsumption of protein can actually have a negative effect, which means it actually can drive hunger. Right. Uh, probably that's where you're getting into, you're eating so much protein that that whole hormonal shift is happening. And so upregulation of GNG is happening and hypoglycemia is happening a little bit. And so you start to get into this, this cycle, but you know, where that threshold is for people seems to depend. I will say that over the years, I've become a big fan of what's called the protein leverage hypothesis, which is this argument that people will typically eat and eat. And I mean, it's, um, boilerplating it here, but they typically will eat until they have satisfied their physiologic requirements for protein. Honestly, they will feel hunger until they have that satiated. So it's a pretty back of the napkin explanation of a pretty complex uh, framework or a pretty complex theory, but it's uh, it's one that holds a little merit and holds you know, really should have some further investigating done because to your point, if somebody's under consuming protein, they're just going to live in a state of hunger. And one of the funny things in our boot camps is people will look at like their, their macronutrients and their total calories and go, I can never be full eating 1100 or 1250 calories a day on my rest days. You guys are crazy. You're, you're insane. And so we show them kind of sample meals and to give them some ideas of like how they should eat, you know, eating things like, big salads with large amounts of meat and, and those kinds of things on the salad. Um, having a nice piece of meat next to maybe, you know, some grilled asparagus or some sauteed mushrooms or, you know, just good food that people would kind of recognize as food, right? You know, across all societies, across all <laughs> yeah. time. It's crazy. And literally, Almost every one of those individuals that came to us and said we're crazy and horrible people for the recommendations that we made to them will come back and go, I'm having trouble eating all of this food. Yeah, it's, and yeah. it's funny that what we're finding is probably touching the top end of their protein needs physiologically, maybe for the first time in a very long time. And when we do that, there is a certain amount of they just stop being hungry. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they do. Is that to say they never get hungry? No, that's ludicrous. But they just stop having that ravenous, you know, mama's going to go, you know, uh, you know, shake like the my arm. to see if he's yeah. got any cookies in a box. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you feel like you're possessed by demons. I mean, I know I, when I was training, I, I 100% sure I underate protein the whole time I was training for I've done six half Ironmans and a full Ironman and I was hungry. Like I could eat off my arm, you know, mm -hmm. most of the time. And now I eat enough protein. I'm like, I'm good. I, uh, so it's a, it's quite a, quite a big difference. But I think that that's awesome. why, uh, I think that there's a, in the sports community, even some of the other sports nutritionists are still low on the protein side, uh, that, uh, I think that is probably a, a tragic, well, it's, it's not good. And, uh, I've followed a lot of, um, some of the well-known sports folks and I, I ended up a mess. So <laughs> obviously that didn't work for me, but I'm much better now. The, so let's talk a little bit. We all have, uh, I'm, 
don't even know what our time is. Where's my little clock on here? But I wanted you to talk a little bit about what your boot camps are like, because that's really where you get people through your, your program. Sure. So uh, these were, again, kind of law of unintended consequences, right? We had a lot of folks come to us and say, hey, we want you guys to train us and we want, um, you know, there's six of us and what would you do or how could you structure a training that like six of us could do at once? And so we started working with those folks and we created sort of these little Facebook groups just to kind of sequester those folks away and give them a way to talk amongst themselves and with us um, at the same time that they would, you know, that they would have access to the training information. And, and we started writing materials, explaining kind of best practices around how to do what we do. Um, and at the time they were monthly and they recurred every month. And so we just kind of did this and it was really only for people that knew us either personally or kind of professionally. I either had been in like the Facebook group or the Reddit group for a really long time and kind of had, you know, gotten to know one of either Louise or I, and, uh, and so it kind of grew from, from that to, um, to what it is today, which is we, we've, we typically put together a manual. We've got a learning course that actually starts and runs week by week along with these programs. We actually have moved them out to be six week programs. So they sort of mirror like, uh, some of the periodized training cycle times that you'll typically see, like you'll see six week blocks of time and some training programs and stuff. But truthfully, it was kind of pragmatic. Um, it fits nicely to fit in seven full length, uh, courses in the year while giving people a one week break in between those courses. And then we also do a four week short course that's over the holidays just for people that want to not like have to buy new holiday pants because they don't fit into their regular pants after Thanksgiving and they won't fit into them until they make their new year's resolutions. Right. You know, they break out the, the softies sweatpants with the elastic waistband and they just go to town. Not everybody wants that. And so they, they kind of enrolled there too. And so it, it worked out really well logistically, but it also made sense from a programming perspective to allow us to, with some of our more advanced clients kind of move through some periods of higher intensity, lower volume into lower intensity, higher volume and kind of move through cycles of training. Um, but what we actually do is we, we've written about a hundred and at this point, 190 page manual of best practices. So it's grown a little bit stuff since you actually went through uh, the boot camp. Uh, uh, we actually run a learning course where the different coaches have recorded some videos and we'll grab some best practices videos from industry experts in different lifts or in different areas of science and share that information with the members of the boot camp on like a week by week basis that kind of runs coinciding with the, uh, the boot camp itself. Um, so all of the training is group based. So everyone at a similar fitness level will do a similar exercise program. There are some modifications that are there for people with maybe some preexisting injuries or fear or lack of equipment or something along those lines you know, while we work through some of those issues and then we provide sort of weekly coaching feedback via email or via messenger type communication. Um, and really it's been trial and error lessons learned in a lot of different ways, but the reality is it's just become a culture and a tribe and a community. 
And you know, I was talking with a couple of the folks that had been involved for a couple of years in, 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 in being a part of the boot camp. And one of them said something to me that resonated really strongly with why we've had the success that we've had. Um, one of the comments was, my real family is completely dysfunctional and I don't talk to my neighbors and I don't go to church. And, and when I said, um, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was, I'll paraphrase here. It was, this is the place where I come to get the kick in the butt or the pat on the back that I need to make sure that I stay on target and on focus. And I said, well, you know, well, now that you've got the skills and the things that you've developed to do that, let me ask, you've been here two years, why do you keep signing up? And it was interesting, you know, he said, uh, I keep signing up because I like the accountability and also, I feel like after doing this for this long, I want to pass what I've learned and what I know on to the people that are here so that I can build a legacy in this community as well. And I was like, okay, that just blew my brain a little bit. <laughs> um, you know. And then I was talking with uh, some folks we actually had um, a couple of years, about a year and a half ago, and before... I could even sit down to talk with Luis about the possibility of working something out financially to try and figure out how to make that work. We had six people reach out to us in the boot camp and say, I want to take care of her. You send me her bill. And I was like, it's one thing when people start to kind of pony up their, the, you know, they just want to be a part of something. It's another thing when they start paying for somebody else to be a part of something that says to us that what we've got here is the family that many people don't have. It's the, it's the tribe and the culture that, that a lot of people need where we just don't accept enabling relationships. We don't, you know, sugarcoat things. We'll say them, but we'll say hard things in love, you know, in, in honesty and in, in truth, because nobody ever got better, you know, better by being placated all the way to hell. Right. I mean, nobody ever, improved because somebody told them they're great. And I'll tell you where it breaks my heart the most. And it's a weird place is when you watch these people interview for American Idol and you watch them and they say, well, everybody says that I sing so well and I'm so great. And I just want to come and show America that I'm the next American Idol. And they get up there and it sounds like they're trying to yodel a song that they had no business singing in the first place. Oh, Yeah. That and is. you realize at that moment that by being unwilling to hurt that person's feelings, they have materially harmed that individual for life. Yeah. Tough and love. That's, that's one of the things that we, we, we live and operate by is we're going to say honest, true things, and we're going to do our very best to say them in a way that's going to be gentle and kind, but to the point and honest so there can be no miscommunication and it's crazy the amount of success we've had. Um, you know, and, and I, I want to pat myself on the back, but I tell people all the time is basically I'm just the tool shed at this point, you know, we'll equip you with the tools. You have to dig your own garden. Right. And, and that's just the reality. But you know, we've been kind of working with some folks who have been consistent in turning in their information over the last, at this point, about 32 months or so. So, of those individuals, we've got about 817, I believe is the number. I don't have it in front of me that uh, have been consistently turning in information 
over the course of this term. And now that doesn't mean they've all been with us 32 months. It just means that they were consistent in turning in their information during the time that they were with us. Um, those 800 plus people have lost just a tick over 33,000 pounds at this point, um, which as far as I know is literally the single most effective weight loss, non-surgical weight loss intervention in existence. Um, there's actually some stuff that's maybe in the works or we're going to test some of these theories and test some of our approaches in a clinical setting. So fingers crossed that that's going to come to fruition and we're going to see more evidence that eating ancestrally, eating a low glycemic diet, getting up and moving seems again to be this panacea or this gold standard for fixing yourself physically. And what I find, and I love it, and I, and I told this story at the, at, the, at the conference as well. I'll censor myself because I, I don't want you getting explicit label slapped on you too hard. But uh, um, I had a client reach out, and you know, this has been a while back, and she said, I just wanted you to know I'm divorcing my husband. And I said, oh, well, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, maybe, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to like jump into, look, when people start changing these things, sometimes happen, take some time, take a breath. But I'm like, okay, don't start diagnosing and being that guy yet. So I just said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, you know, what's, you know, what's the game plan, right? I mean, if you've made this decision, what's your next, you know, your next best step? And she responded back and she said, oh, don't be sorry. He's been beating the poop out of me on a, you know, for, for a long time now when I just finally had had enough and I'm strong enough that I'm saying no. Yeah, that's when I started to cry. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, uh, it, it is astounding to me what happens when people have a community of non-dysfunctional support. And when people have a community that they know will cheer them on and kick them in the butt at the same time and hold them accountable and love on them and care about them in a virtual setting. And you couple that to somebody getting physically stronger and carrying themselves with more upright posture. I think Jordan Peterson maybe uses the analogy of like the, the biggest lobster with the biggest claws and how it carries itself differently than the other lobsters, you know, and, and this, you know, this woman starts to carry herself and I could show you progress photos and show you her shoulders open up and her abdomen starts to rake properly because she's getting proper flexion in her spine again. And she starts to stand with more posture and that frown on her face turns into a smile over the course of two or three months. And now all of a sudden she says, Oh, I'm done. This is not acceptable because she's had an exposure to what functional is and dysfunctional doesn't feel right anymore. And it's like, that's the stories and that's the stuff that just, you know, they stir my soul as a coach and as a human being, you know, I, you're laughing. You're like, I started crying. Like I get misty eyed when I tell this story and I could tell you hundreds of them. They come in Maybe not as stark a fashion as that one, but it's, you know, hey, I sat down and I talked with, with my wife about um, a lot of the brokenness that's in me and the things that I went through as a child. And, you know, I mean, clearly you can infer what I'm trying to get at here, but, you know, and why it's caused me to be closed off at times and fail to have intimacy and, and not, you know, be comfortable in my own skin. And, 
And so we've agreed we're going to go see a therapist. And, you know, three months later, they'll reach back out. Maybe, you know, and I had that instance actually happen where they said, and I can't really afford to keep going, but I want you to know kind of the special place in my heart. And, you know, like three months later, I get a note back saying, hey, I wanted you to know we're actually going to go renew our vows. Oh, that's too. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like again, law of unintended consequences. We, we train people to get strong. But what's crazy is in training them to get strong, they become strong. And, and that just has such a, a permutation or an ability to affect their work and their relationships and their, their parenting and their friendships and all of the different avenues and aspects of their lives. It's just overwhelming. Um, and so some of those people will go, well, you sell it awful hard. And I'll tell you why I sell it awful hard because I watch people change every freaking day. And it's hard not to become just a little bit evangelical at times wow. when these are the stories that I get on a weekly or a monthly basis right. from clients. It's crazy. I never thought you sold it very hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I'll say that, but also will, I have a, an expressed position that I will never tell somebody how to spend their own money because I didn't help them earn it. Therefore, I don't feel like I get a vote in how they spend it. But, uh, you know, but I will tell you the stories and the outcomes and let people make all the decisions in the world that they want. And when, you know, it's hard not to want to share those stories. It's hard not to want to share stories where somebody says I was going to kill myself today and I didn't do it because I read something you wrote. Um, you know, like those are just those moments where you're like, wait a minute, this platform and this community has the ability to be something so much greater than we give it credit for. And I think sometimes, and I've said this before, I think sometimes even in the, the midst of competition, you know, I, I compete in jujitsu, but when you consider even the competitive aspect of endurance sports, right? There's kind of, you know, there's cliques and teams and all of this sort of stuff. And sometimes the humanity can get lost in that. And sometimes I think people forget why they started doing these things in the first place and how liberating it is to know that you can go and, you know, and, and, and you can run a marathon after swimming 2.4 miles and biking. What is that? 113 miles. Did I get the math? I was close. I'm not an endurance person. Be happy. I would have just, that's cool. what the fact that you knew it was a lot of people think a triathlon is an Ironman or an Ironman is no, just like, yeah, yeah, but so I, you're good. Yeah, you're good. I've got, I've got some friends that compete. And so I can talk about the Olympic distance stuff and the sprint distance stuff. Yeah. I couldn't tell you all the numeric calculations on how far they are, but I do know that one is shorter than the other and now there are crazy people doing like double and triple iron oh, yes. because apparently they don't have anything else to do as <laughs> a kid if anybody's listening to this and says you're horrible well, i'll tell you i think there's a difference because i'm doing bike racing now and bike racing does not have the same community feel as triathlon and triathlon really ultimately because there's no drafting there's no i mean there's race strategy but there's no strategy as a team they tend to be more uh inclusive welcoming and although cyclists are nice and cool but they're um definitely it's a different feel of people who bike race roadies and and then there's a different feel for mountain bikers so i and i'm not a mountain biker so i couldn't 
I own a mountain bike. If you want to see my bikes are right over there. There's one oh, and nice. two. But, uh, and I want two more. <laughs> so Everybody does. You know, the, the num Go ahead, sorry. The, the ultimate number of bikes is N plus one. I would like a gravel <laughs> bike. And I would like a uh, time trial bike. I had a time trial bike, but I sold it. But that's a side note. But uh, I get a sense of the community about, uh, you know, with sports. When I was doing a lot of endurance sports, I was continually got sicker and more broken. But that's where all my friends were. So whenever I finally was so messed up, I tore the fascia off my foot and I couldn't walk. Oh, and... Goodness. Yeah, it was horrible. Um, the, I, I was double depressed because I was depressed that I no longer was hanging out with my friends and I was in pain all the time and I could not walk. It was, um, and that was sort of a big, I mean, a turning point for me. I'm like, why the heck, why is this not working? Because I used to have the belief that if I just trained hard enough, worked hard enough, you know, I would be able to cross that finish line. If I just followed the advice that I got about nutrition and followed the training schedule that I would somehow get stronger and faster and, and that did not happen. So, <laughs> but now I'm at 40, I just turned 49 and I feel probably the fittest and healthiest that I've ever felt in my life. So that's what, uh, doing, a uh, training and, um, eating right makes you age backwards. I feel like. Well, I can't get my hair to stop turning gray, but I do feel younger, so I guess that counts for something. So. Well, I uh, I have a fair amount of gray hair. That's why it's <laughs> Although I did give up coffee, and um, you know the Anderson wow. family. I know. <laughs> so the Anderson family, uh, Joe Anderson, the, the carnivore all-meat family. Sure, yeah. He said his hair turned back to its regular color when he gave up caffeine. So I am interested. And then I was talking to Amber O'Hearn mm -hmm. at uh, the Low Carb USA, and she was telling me the mechanism by why potentially it would turn gray with caffeine and not turn gray without it. And she's working on a blog post on it. I don't remember all the details, but we will see. I'm we will not prepared to give up coffee for the gray hair so i'll just i'll wait and see what the stephanie Holder i will let you i'll let is. you know but i uh, i just recolored because i had so much gray i'm about 85 percent of my hair is gray so it's well, my, mine at this point is peppered in the top and then my chin kind of looks like a striped skunk a little bit but i just refuse to do anything about it so oh, uh, well, i think that makes you look a little more dignified like wasn't you know <laughs> It's interesting. There's a story, complete side note. Uh, I think it's called Accidental CEO is the book title, but it's about the guy who became the CEO of like the, or the Yum Brands Incorporated or whatever. Um, but he, he became an executive at such an early age that his mentor actually took him to a hair salon and had them make his hair peppered gray so that he would look older than he was because they were concerned that he would not be taken seriously because he did not have any gray in his hair. Oh, well. So there you go. There so you go. some people, some people intentionally do it. I, I can't bring myself to, but. Uh, well, I gave up coffee cause I, um, I think I, I abuse it. I am an over user of coffee. So I figured I would give it up and see what happens. 
we'll see what happens. I'm, I've given it up two times before for at least 30 days. And then I was like, ah, my quality of life is not better. I'm going back to coffee. <laughs> Got to give me some more coffee, right? Yeah. So, so here's the real, I would love to hear how that goes for you. Just out of sheer curiosity, if nothing else, I'd be curious to hear you know, how that would work or how that does work. But, uh, for sure. That's, that's, uh, interesting, random, conversations that we find ourselves in one of these things up. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tyler, for your time and your information. And I don't know, do not, I don't know, I can edit this out, that if you're, that you used to be a preacher and when you were I up was, on. I was a preacher for almost seven years, yeah. When you were on stage, before you had said you were a preacher, I'm like, that guy talks like a preacher. And you were uh, the, just the perfect pauses, the emphasis, like, this is a point I want you to remember. And I thought the talk was just fabulous and uh, I really enjoyed it. But I think that um, you probably are doing a similar job just in a different way. You know, I, I said to a couple of folks while I was there, it's, it's funny sometimes. We actually shut the church down. Now, in fairness, I was the worst pastor in the history of pastor. And I'm all straight up tell you, uh, my mouth when I get angry is the foulest mouth in the world. I think sometimes my temper runs hot. I'm like all the reasons that somebody probably shouldn't be a pastor, but I love history and it got me into biblical history and eventually led me to my faith. Um, so I come at it from a little different perspective. I tend to be a believer in both science and religion. And I joke sometimes that I'm a believer and my only irrational position is, is the belief in a supreme deity or a creator God. So I, I have all of these rational positions and I'm just beaten to death by rationality. And then I hold on to this one thing that I just believe for, for all it's worth. Um, but it's, it's funny. Um, yeah, I used to preach like barefoot in beer t-shirts just on principle that, you know, if I offended somebody good because, you know, I had t-shirts printed and, and I hope this is okay with the sensors at, at uh, iTunes or whatever. But uh, so I had t-shirts printed with a picture of, of a white silhouetted Jesus on them that just said Jesus Christ has been loving the hell out of people since 33 AD. And so, <laughs> needless to say, I caught a little flack in the church community here in the area. Uh, and we didn't get a lot of sponsorship or support from some of the, the parent churches here in the area that might have wanted to step in and help us out. But I tend to take a pretty contrarian view of what Christianity has become, and that probably has a little bit to do with it. But, you know, all of the time spent up there, you know, when you shut a church down, feels frustrating and like a failure to some degree, right? Um, you know, 15 years of feeling like I was selling bits of my soul because my actual day job was working in telecommunications engineering and selling services to companies that um, in some instances were doing some pretty nefarious things with the bandwidth and, and services that we were selling to them. Um, you know, uh, and you step back and you go, wait a minute, now 15, 17, 20 years later, you realize that you can connect the dots and realize that if you do an intervention and a divine purpose, which I do, all of these things were laying the groundwork for the opportunity to have this time to counsel and love on and help people to walk through these journeys that they've got going on and to be able to 
to stand on stage and have shaken all of the jitters out of my system after years of being terrible at public speaking and selling and pitching to people to be able to stand up there and just be completely unafraid to say what needs in my estimation to be said. And so, you know, in retrospect, there is a certain amount of, you know, go excuse the expression, thank you, Jesus. But there is also a certain amount of, you know, all these lessons learned sort of culminate into who I am today, which probably had a lot to do with how I was able to lose almost 300 pounds in the first place. So, uh, so yeah, not at all unhappy about it. It's just, uh, you know, when it happens, you find yourself getting really, really angry for a while, right? You know, I did all this, we spent thousands of dollars and blah, blah, blah. And like, you're ready to fist fight Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that's not going to end well one way or the other. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting road and yeah, I was a preacher I actually teach a, a verse by verse Bible study at my church now on a weekly basis, or at least the weeks that I'm not traveling for business. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I'm a big old dork on a lot of different levels. So, well, I think you're a pretty awesome dork. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Right. Well, it's so great talking to you, Tyler. It's been very entertaining and delightful. And I, I appreciate, I feel like we're on the same page, a lot of things, just in a little different twist on it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Different context, right? Yes, definitely different context. <laughs> context is everything. It's everything. There you go. <laughs> so, well, Stephanie, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. All right. Well, I will um, send it to you all. edit the best I can. And, uh, I'm not the best editor and I don't send it off to edit because then the people miss things, but, um, it's what? totally fine. Whatever you want to do, dump the raw thing out there. I, I you know, I, I tell people all the time, I got nothing to hide and I am, I am who I am warts and bumps and bruises and everything. So go for it. If I say something offensive or wrong, I'll stand up and be the first to admit it. So we'll be good. I'm pretty sure you didn't say anything offensive or wrong. Uh, in this podcast, you got to be careful. You see some of the others, I drop occasional swear words and stuff. Oh, so, well, then I would have to, well, you were good. You didn't have I tried super hard. I said hell twice, so I'm not sure if you'll get in trouble, but if you do, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, and can, then, you can beep it out if you want. If I, yeah, then I'd have to figure out how to, well, I know how to do it, like cut and paste the little bleep. I'm like, oh my gosh. That, Hit the dump button or whatever in the in Yeah, the I was like, it's, uh, that might be more work than I'm willing to put in. I'll take my chances. There you go. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Talk to you later, Tyler. Bye. Bye.